Hey friends, happy Monday. Today's amazing guest is Amanda Carpenter, and we are talking all about foster parenting. I have a few people in my life who have done foster parenting, and it is really tugged at my heart as something so incredible. And so I wanted to just pick Amanda's brain. She talks about the good, the bad, the stigmas, and her why. Social media began our friendship a couple of years ago, and I really love having the opportunity to witness Amanda's candidness on social media and just to see her open home and open heart for a few years now. She is, like I said, a foster mama alongside her husband, Eric, for kids as young as one year old and up to 17 years old. She has also coined the terms, impressing is exhausting and get too attached. And you'll understand why as soon as you hear her story. I feel encouraged and I feel informed after speaking with Amanda, and I know that you will too. So let's jump in. We were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and crazy, but when we do life together, it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life and happy parenting, healthy marriages, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I also love sharing all the secrets about things that have worked for me so that they can help you. On Living Easy, I really like to dig deep. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insight and practical tips about things like time management, building a brand, traveling, strengthening your faith in your marriage, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey friends, welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. I apologize in advance for my voice. I have a little bit of a cold. <laughs> this is Amanda Carpenter. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I have loved, Amanda, I've loved following along with you and reading your stuff because one, you are super raw and honest. Like I don't feel like you sugarcoat anything at all. Is that something that's really important to you? Yes, it's extremely important. And you're not the first person to tell me that <laughs> I am. It, for anyone who's familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram eight. And so we tend to be extremely like direct and it can be perceived um, very different than what it's intended to be. It's actually a like a gift and an act of love to be so clear and direct and yeah. just to shoot it straight. But um, yeah, so that's just funny that you said that. I was actually told that earlier today. So just the irony of it is funny to me. Yeah. That's something that's very important to me with my ministry and my platform is just sharing the raw, sharing the vulnerable, because I feel like it allows people to see that life is real and there's hardship. And that even in these things like fostering, which is so incredibly admirable and beautiful, and I feel like is a calling, like biblically a calling to care for the orphans, whether they do it through fostering or through adoption or through supporting fostering and adopting parents, that it's hard too, right? And so can you talk a little bit about the dangers of the savior complex? Because you've shared a lot about the importance of reconciling your children with their biological parents and how you're not focused on adopting them. You're focused on reconciling them. Can you talk about the savior complex and then also why reconciliation is so important to you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually going to start with the reconciliation. Perfect. So I'll just admit, and I do this publicly a lot, I 
another part I think of just who I am is like, I will totally own my mistakes and admit my, like when I'm wrong. And I've done that very publicly in the early days of our fostering journey. Mm. I unknowingly and almost subconsciously had this savior complex, which I'm going to revisit that, but I just want to mention like, like for me, I did at my core want our first kiddos to reunify if that was at all possible. But it's almost like in my heart and in my mind, I conjured up that they would be better off with us. So even if like it would be possible to reunify, I had definitely written this story that like, but they're better off with us and nobody could love them more than we do. And like, we're the best for them. And honestly, it makes me cringe a little bit when I think about it, but I really believe we don't know what we don't know and we learn best through experience. And so while I hate that my first placement, I look back and can see areas that I just, I wish I would have maybe done things differently or focused on differently, mm-hmm. like building the relationship with mom. It's it's actually really great today, but it was really tricky for a while because of where I was at in my head and my heart on right. on the whole matter. Like we... We were ready to take these kids forever. And now I, I know that because they are they did reunify with mom and we've been able to help like support that process and continue to have a relationship and make it even better than it ever was. I can see so clearly that yes, I love these kids, but like they are her children and like they mm-hmm. were never just mine. You know, they were always like ours together. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. um it's it's just been like really beautiful because I think God changed the picture of redemption in my mind. I had the picture of redemption that they would be adopted by us and live happily ever after. And I never had this picture of like, oh, we'd cut mom out of the picture right. entirely. I just it's not the redemption story that I pictured. And what God did was he totally surprised us because when reunification happened, which is always the primary goal of foster care, um, although it was scary and hard for a lot of reasons, it's been so beautiful and way more beautiful, I think, even than if we had adopted them to watch them go back to live with their mom, for her to be this amazing parent and prove to herself and to her kids how much she's willing to work because she loves them. Like it, that redemption and like mm. being able to see that and have a front row seat and and then also support it, like that has been so incredible. And so, um, we, ever since that first placement reunified, my husband and I both, I think just through the experience, God really softened our hearts and transformed us to really see the best in our children's parents and to Mm. exhaust all efforts to try and help them get their children back before we even think or talk about forever with these kids. It doesn't mean that it never comes up. And I just want to clarify, there's a lot of beauty in adoption. Like I am not an anti-adoption person. It's not that at all. It's just that I think people often create this story in their mind. um, And there's a lot of misconceptions out there about foster care in general. And like starting with, you know, I think we often write stories that these are bad people, that they're drug addicted or that they've done something so terrible. And how could you ever do that to a child? And it's like, well, sometimes those things are, are true. And we, God has just totally wrecked me to realize that like my sin and the things that I struggle with are actually no less or different Mm. than them. Like it's not an us versus them. Like we are all sinners and we all struggle and we all fall short. And honestly, these are not monsters. They're not bad people. In fact, so we currently have three boys. And if you count each 
child individually that we've ever had. We are on our 16th child. Oh my um, gosh, Amanda. When did you guys, when did you start? How long ago? Just over two years ago. So we've had a lot of kids, some for like nine months, some for three months, some for just like a weekend, but we count them all because we, when we say yes, we never know how long it's going to be for. And so we just count them all. Um, And you're impacting each one of them, even if it's for a day or three months or nine months. That's, That's a child's life. I think every moment is impactful. I totally agree. Thank you. But all that to say, out of all these kids that we've had, um, I I truly cannot say that they come from bad parents. They come from parents who've had bad parenting and that they're modeling what they learned. And it's just this ripple effect. It's generational poverty and cycles of abuse and lack of healing from trauma in their own life. And then it spills into their kids' lives. And these are not bad people. Like I, I want to see a day where instead of just Um, instead of looking at these situations and kind of coming down hard with a sentence or like, oh, we're terminating rights and now they get to be adopted. Like sometimes that is necessary and it is beautiful. So again, I would just want a disclaimer, like I'm not against it in all circumstances, but I would love to see a more holistic approach because I feel like healing is possible and we've seen it and we've gotten to be a part of it. And it's just been so cool. And then, so it goes right along with what you asked about the savior complex. All of this journey has been parallel with that. Like I didn't think I ever, I would have never told you that I was a hero or a white savior, Mm -hmm. but I have totally seen as I look back and how, how God's been transforming me through this work. I can see so clearly that that is true. And that's something I have to be really aware of. And it's not from a malicious intent. I often see it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll notice it in maybe the way someone writes something on social media or the way they share with me in person. And I, I don't have judgment. I have empathy because we don't know what we don't know. And so I just pray that those people have someone who can lovingly call them up and help hold up a mirror for them so that they can see this blind spot because that's how I was able to really start making some changes and to recognize that that was a part of me and it's, or I should say it is, and it's something I have to be very aware of. I have a natural desire to want to fix things, to want to save the day. At the root of it, as I've done the work, Lindsay, I've realized that my need to be the hero, my need to be the savior comes from a place of pride and it comes from a, from a lack of trust in the Lord. And I, Mm. I really mean that when I say it, I don't just say it to try and sound spiritual or whatever. Like I really mean it because as I even thought about it, like my husband and I, there was a point where it wasn't working out with a kid we had in our home. And we fought tooth and nail with ourselves to like keep making it work. Like we were like, we have to make it work. And then we sat down one night and we were talking and we were like, well, why are we trying so hard to make this work? It's clearly not a good fit. And our answer, both of us kind of got to a place where we were willingly able to admit, well, who else is going to help if not us, who else is going to take her if not us? And then we kind of took it further and it was like, wow, we won't even go to our caseworker and say we're struggling, one, because we are prideful, and two, because at the core, we believe that we're the only people willing to do this. It actually like kind of dawned on me that I was like, wow, how crazy, prideful, and heroic do I really believe that I am that that God wouldn't provide someone else and this little girl wouldn't be better off with some other family. And so it was crazy, but we ended up making that hard decision. So we've had one child that we've ever had to say, hey, this isn't working. Can you guys find a different place for her? And what God did to even just like make that situation um, 
just to show up in that situation was so cool. There was a relative who was able to take her. And so she actually oh, ended up reunifying with her own biological family. And that wouldn't have happened had we not gotten to that place where we stopped believing that we were the solution and the end all be all. And it was up to us. Mm. Like I, I heard one of my pastors say in all things, this doesn't just go with foster care. Actually, it, it was used referring to our work life, but we work like it depends on us, right? Like we were created to work hard and do things, but we live knowing it depends on God. Mm. And there is such a differentiation when we actually do believe that it all depends on God, that it's not all on our shoulders and that we aren't the savior and we were never created to be that. Yeah. I could go on and on when it comes to this. Yeah. Well, I, I love what you said because I agree with that. I think so often like we are called to live an abundant life. We are called to live a life for Jesus and to live out an active faith. But at the same time, if we're working by our own efforts and mm. we're going to become exhausted and we can know when we're working by our own efforts, when and we feel burnt out because we're not relying on the strength of the spirit. We're not relying on him. And so there is that active faith, but then there's also that reliance, that heavy dependency that we need to have on him and know that he is the one in control of all things, including these families. And so thank you so much for sharing that. I want to backtrack a little bit. Can you tell me how you guys started in the fostering process? What called you there? What pulled you to become foster parents? Yeah. So when I was a child, I on my seventh birthday specifically, an incident occurred in my home and I was removed from the home. Um, I, I'll spare the details. It's mm-hmm. very traumatic. It was very, it's very painful to revisit. But I grew up at a very young age knowing that not every child has a safe, stable, loving environment to grow up in. I knew that because I experienced it for myself. And so God used that catastrophe in my life to be the catalyst for my calling. And that um, at a very young age, I I just knew I'd be a foster parent. So then fast forward to like years later, I'm in college, I'm dating, you know, life is happening. It's not it's definitely not something that I had like actively thought about and was like considering doing anytime soon. It was just sort of this never, it never went away in the back of my mind kind of thing. Right. Um, which is also, I think a sign when something's a calling, like it stood the test of time. So every guy that I dated, it was one of the first things I said was just, uh, you know, as you naturally get to know people, you tell your stories, I quickly knew my story and my family. And I would just say like, I don't necessarily have a desire to have biological children. And I want to be like very upfront with that. I, that could change. So I'm not saying that's off the table, but what I know for sure is I will be a foster parent. And obviously if I'm married, then you will be too. So, um, it was just something like I was really upfront about and, Every guy that I ended up like seriously dating or in for a time, like they obviously had considered and come to be open to that. Um, But it wasn't until I met my husband that ironically out of anyone else, he had the least knowledge about foster care Mm -hmm. and like his, his childhood was what nobody has perfect childhood, but I swear he just comes from like this just amazing family. And like, he just had such a great upbringing and we couldn't have come from more opposite worlds And he had like no knowledge. He didn't even know much about foster care at all. He would ask me like a million questions because he was just like, wait, what? This is real? Like his awareness was just not there. Um, and, And yet still he became obviously my husband. He like 
that was part of our vows that that would be the life we live. And it oh, wow. um, now cool. he is equally as passionate about it all as I am. And he's honestly just the most incredible foster dad. So yeah, it's, it's, incre- it's been crazy, but we ended up starting the process when we moved to Chicago, our second year of marriage, we kind of just enjoyed it out here. And then entering into our third year of marriage, we just moved into a, an apartment that had an extra bedroom and for the purpose of wanting to be fostering. And we started. Wow. I have a friend who just adopted a baby. She did foster care and it was, she, or she was very similar to you. Her perspective was very similar to yours and reconciliation is number one. That is all that we want, but that doesn't diminish how hard it was for them to let go and mm-hmm. say goodbye. Can you talk a little bit about the real emotion behind kind of having a child and raising a child in your home and having to say goodbye, even though you know it's right, how do you and your husband kind of cope with that? Yeah, I. that's very real. Um, number one, I think we just we let ourselves be sad. We don't try to just keep saying like, well, it was for the best. It was for the best. Like, yeah, well, that's real. Mm -hmm. um, And that's true. It's also real that I attached myself in the very best way, in a very healthy way. And I loved this child and would give up my life for this child. So of course I'm going to be sad because it feels like a death. It's a loss. Um, So we cope one by just acknowledging that those emotions are real and not trying to diminish them. We go to therapy. That's not something we do just when a child leaves, but that's something we do. We go once a month together and once a month I go individually. And love that. So just continuing to engage in proactive therapy for ourselves individually and as a couple. I think one of the things that helps me cope the most is knowing that I've done everything to build a relationship with whomever the child is returning to, whether that's biological mom or dad and or a relative. Because again, we've had kids return home, but maybe it's not to the parents, it's to an aunt or someone like that. Um, I always try to, my husband and I both really try to have a relationship. And what helps us cope is then we set up a time, like, like a lot of times if we've dropped off a kid, it's we already have scheduled though, two weeks from now, we're doing dinner with them on this night. And that just like is such a relief. And even just yes, uh, was it yesterday or two days ago, I was on the phone with one of our former children's aunts. And she's like, I got your the birthday card, I'm gonna give it to her. You know, I send birthday cards. And I, we try to stay in contact, we Facebook friend them, you know, things like that. So I think that's also a way that we cope. But I guess I should have said this answer probably first, but really just trust in the Lord. Um, and it's easier said than it is done. Mm-hmm. I, I That's where I'm at today. Yeah. Well, that's so great. I know it's, I mean, it's a 20 minute podcast and the amount of emotion and experience and just your day to day. I can't even imagine what that process looks like. And I know that it takes immense strength. And I'm not saying this to like make you feel a certain way or just because you're on my podcast. Like I truly am always in awe of parents like you and of you specifically and the things that you do and the things that you're willing to share because it's not always easy to let people into that life. It's not always easy to let them see it. But I think once you kind of open that door, it's the sense of freedom. So can you share a little bit about why you share on social media, why you feel that it's beneficial to tell the real truth to people who are watching your story? Yeah. 
Well, I have a little phrase that's turned into a hashtag and it <laughs> might, may or may not be the name of my book coming out, Yay. but impressing, <laughs> impressing is exhausting. Um, and I believe that the biggest transformation in my life occurred this is really separate from foster care. It's, it's, I should say it's just more broad and all encompassing. So I'm not yeah. being specific to what we've been talking about, but just in the, in the general of my life, I have found the greatest transformation to happen when I take off my mask, when I am real, when I practice confession, like I could give you a million different things, but, but I say all of that to say that with social media, I try to view it as, as I do all the other parts of my life, I want to appropriately and healthily show up as I am. Mm -hmm. And so people probably look at my social media and maybe think I'm a roller coaster, but that's (laughs) who I am. And, and I try, I really try to the best of my ability and I'm not perfect. We all are social performers at one time or another, but I really try to embrace these like soul conscious practices in my life. There's a, there's so many that I could tell you that help me to authentically show up and to be real. And so as a writer on social media, as someone who shared very openly and wrote constantly well before we ever started fostering kids, I didn't feel like that should stop just because we had these kids in our life. And to be honest, if I would have stopped because I had these kids in my life and I and I didn't feel comfortable sharing their stories, I wouldn't have anything to write about because I I wish that I could say this wasn't true, but I haven't found a way to do this work and not be all consumed by it. And I think that's kind of the whole point is, you know, people say, oh, I could never do what you do. I get too attached. And it's like, well, that's sort of the whole point. If you'd get too attached, you'd be really good at it. That's what they need. That's what these kids deserve. And so all that to say for me, writing and sharing, it creates this safe space of authenticity for myself. I think it gives other people permission. I know it's created solidarity. Um, It, I have this like even this private community, I feel like some people will never say things publicly and that's totally fine, but mm. they'll say, oh my goodness, I we've been struggling. We just had to say goodbye to one of our kids, but no one even knows that we said goodbye because nobody even knows we've had this kid. We've kept it like really quiet and, and that's fine to each their own. But I think, man, we were created to do life together. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to show up with the life I'm living with the highs, the lows, all of its imperfections. I'm probably going to have to apologize publicly for mistakes that I make along the way. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. That's the risk I'm willing to take because for me, it's worth it. And I also, I believe when it comes to all things foster care, one, I don't want to just say like, be a foster parent because we need you. Because I actually, like you said earlier, I do think it's a calling. I don't think everyone's meant to do it. And if you are going to consider it, I don't want to give you this like romanticized picture of it or glamorized picture of it when that's not reality. So I would hate to lead you astray kind of thing. Hmm. So, Well, and I agree with the sharing. I think with having that heart to allow people to see in, I believe it encourages people to pursue that if they are called to it because it's not Hmm. this secretive situation where they're like, I am kind of like where your husband was initially. I have no idea what I'm jumping into. I don't even know where I'm going. They have this community, you and the people who are following along with you and who share their stories as well to see one, I'm not alone. And just like you said, we were not intended to live life on an island. We are intended to be in fellowship and community. That is how God created us and in our lives to have those people and to intentionally pursue that is so healthy. And so you're fostering this system, like fostering, not to use that (laughs) word, but 
Pun intended. Yeah, pun intended. <laughs> You're fostering this system that allows people to see in to what it would really be like. And I love that you shared that you don't encourage everyone to do it because it's not a calling for everyone. But what would be encouragement for people who do want to get involved, but maybe don't have the capacity right now, or they don't feel called to this? How can they still help children who need help? Yeah. I'm going to answer that question. And I want to say one other thing that just came to my mind. Sure. When it comes to social media, I just feel like, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or what, but I feel the prompting to share. Yes, please do. When it comes to social media specifically and what we share, I think at the core of it, because I could sit here and say like, yeah, we were meant to do life in community and like share your life and show up real and take off your mask. And I mean that and I do. And in the same breath, always check your heart, check your motives, Mm. question why you're sharing it and just pause. That's something that I've really tried to implement in my life with social media. And it has definitely made me, I think, healthier and just more in line with what God's doing in my life. So that was just an encouragement, a little nugget for anyone. Amen to that. So important. And to answer your question, number one, if you're interested in getting involved in foster care, but you don't know where to begin, the first step would just be to go to Google and to type in like, your state's um, website. So like you could literally look up um, if you're in Illinois, like me, you could just Google like Illinois state website, you'll get there and then go to the department of children and family services and start looking into it and get informed um, and educate yourself. If you're not necessarily thinking like that you either have the capacity or the calling or desire to foster parent, but you want to get involved and be an advocate or advocate or help somehow, there are a variety of ways to do that. Number one, Draw a wider circle and get to know some foster parents in your community if you don't already. You could even reach out to a local agency and be like, hey, this might sound weird, but like, I want to get involved. I, I know that I am not going to be a foster parent or I'm not going to be at this time, but like, what are some ways I can get involved? They can either connect you to foster parents that you, you might be able to provide respite for. And for those of you who aren't familiar, respite is temporary care um, really for foster parents. So like, we will, when my husband and I travel and, and our kids need to stay somewhere overnight, they go to a respite family. It's a certified person or family who would take them for a night or two. Um, and respite doesn't always have to look like that. You, you might just get to know a family that maybe you just bring a meal to them once a month. Like I cannot tell you what a gift it is. We have a friend of ours, my husband and I, they're a couple, um, they're married. They don't have any children. And the gift that they've given us in this season is once a month, they, they literally shoot us a bunch of dates via text that they're willing to babysit so we can have a date night. And once a month, for free, they watch our kids so we can get a date night in. It's such oh, a so gift. Cool. And our boys love it. They feel like they get to play and have fun. And, you know, they're not with us because we're the boring old parents now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there's so many ways on that that you could do. Like I said, I tell people all the time do whatever you would do for your friend who's going through a big transition. So mm. the same way you might bring a meal to a family that just had a newborn baby. Do that for someone who's fostering the same way that you might offer to come over and clean for an hour or, hey, give me your grocery list. I'll run and get your groceries for you. I'm not saying everyone has to pay. I know that's not always like a financially possible option, but, but like- that's a great option. Just, it is a great thing to do that if yeah. you have the opportunity or even just go get like necessities, toiletries, toilet paper and- totally. 
things like yeah, that. Yeah, I have I have one fellow foster mom friend that we we do that all the time. She'll text me, I have to go to Costco today. What do you need? And then I just Venmo her when she drops off what I need. But it just saves me a trip. And it's just, we just look out for one another. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to all that, which is very relational, there are other ways too. You can become a volunteer CASA. So CASA stands for Court Appointed Specialist Advocate. Um, I won't get into the weeds on what a CASA does and, and all that, but it's a volunteer person. They play a huge role in helping cases move forward. And when I say move forward, meaning to help the kids, um, to ensure that the kids' best interests are um, what's at the, you know, the main priority and that they're either returning home or they're um, going to find permanency elsewhere. But like a CASA, our CASA is great. She comes to court dates with us and she's kind of that neutral person that supports us, but never takes our, she never um, takes like our kids off our hands. So that's a real great way to be an advocate, but also, uh, and it's volunteer but also not to have kids in your home. Another great way too is there's an organization called One Simple Wish that you can Google. And it's basically where foster kids have submitted wishes through their caseworker for items that they either want or need. And just like you would go to buy your own kid a pair of tennis shoes before a new school year, there are kids that are just like, I would just love a pair of new tennis shoes. And there mm-hmm. you can literally just fulfill their wish by by doing it there. And um and oh, the kids really cool. it. And it's I like so that. cool. Yeah. There's kids that literally their request on there is a new duffel bag because they've used it from going place to place so much. Like mm-hmm. it's really it's it's sad, but these yeah, kids they're not they're not all asking for like these crazy things. Even some of them are just simple requests, but, and then around the holidays, especially since I know we're recording this right before the holidays, I, I can't help, but also just say like, again, whether you're actually in relationship with a foster family, or you can just reach out to a local agency, do some research, find them, see if you can fulfill a gift on a kid's Christmas wish list because these kids have endured so much and they often, mm-hmm. Um, really just get the short end of the stick. And it would be such a blessing to them. It would probably bless their foster family. So those are just some of the first things that came to my mind. But Lindsay, if people reach out to me, I will probably give them 10 more ways to get involved. So (laughs) I am full of ideas. Those are so helpful. Thank you so much for that. That really is informative and helpful. And I will share all of your social media links and everything so that they can get in touch with you for people who are interested. Amanda, will you share how people can find you if they want to get in touch with you and ask more questions? Absolutely. So I, the easiest way to get in touch with me is on Instagram at Amanda Carpenter. If not on there, you can just shoot me an email. It's say hi at mandacarpenter.com. So it's pretty simple. Perfect. And then, so I just have one more question for you. For people who are kind of looking from the outside in, can you share maybe just a couple of the hardest things about foster care, the things like your day-to-day moments, what causes you to get on your knees in prayer, and then a a couple of the gifts of being a foster parent? So hardest, because my husband and I do specialized care, which again, we don't probably have the time to get into the weeds on the difference between traditional and specialized foster care, but Mm -hmm. in very short, uh, very, very short explanation, specialized care is fostering children who have extreme behavior or medical needs. So our kids come to us after they've typically quote unquote failed out of other homes and we are like a therapeutic home for them. And there's like different training involved and other services that they get because of their situation. And a lot of our kids do Like we got our, our oldest son from the psych ward directly where he was living just because they couldn't find another place for him to stay. So just to give you that background. So the hardest parts for us 
are definitely the behaviors that come from their trauma. Um, Yes. uh, Even just this week, we had the police at our house and our oldest ran away after a huge incident. And it's just, it's just a lot. It's, um, it's just emotionally draining. It's time consuming. It's sometimes the fights are physical. And so we are trained to handle that, but it's still really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And our oldest, for those of you who don't already know me um, listening to this, our oldest is 13 and then our younger two are nine and six. And they're all three biological brothers that we have. Okay. And, oh, it's just hard navigating. There's just always so much going on. So like a week in my life is two days of the week, our visitation where we drive over an hour for our kids to do have supervised visitation with their biological parents. Um, one day a week, uh, they have, they all three get therapy in our home for an hour. One day a week, they have sports and extracurricular activities. You know, this season it was boxing and soccer, but it's just like one day a week, there's always something between visitation and appointments and therapy. They had psychiatry appointments this week. So it was like going to the psychiatrist too. It's just a lot of, it's just a lot. And, um, so it's, it's a lot logistically, it's a lot emotionally, but I think that's definitely what's hardest for me. And I love that you asked about what's, what's the joyful parts of Mm -hmm. it? Like, what are the gifts in it? And I think that's really easy. It's seeing healing happen right before your eyes. It's looking back and saying eight months ago, our oldest had this, this, and this going on. And yet we have seen growth and transformation. And like, he's, he's no longer hoarding food in his bedroom. Like he doesn't do that at all anymore. That's mm. like, that's huge. And being like, wow. That, is, that that a in that. Com- is that a common thing to hoard food? I've seen that from a couple of foster moms. Mm. Yeah. I think depending on why the child came into care, it is very common. Mm. Yeah. Um, if, if food was, if food was part of the issue, if like not getting enough food was a problem, then it's very common for them to hoard food, um, because it's a survival tactic that they've picked up on. Did he verbalize that he knows that this is a safe place for him or is it just that you start seeing healing in the behavior and they don't really communicate that healing out loud? Or would you say that it's both? Um, in that circumstance, I definitely never saw it. Uh, or sorry, I never saw it. I never heard it directly from him. I think yeah. we just finally saw breakthrough and it just stopped happening. And, mm. and and we just kept communicating over and over again that like, you always have access to the food here. There will always be enough food. Like you don't need to take that. I mean, it was a struggle in the beginning. It was always a fight and it comes across oftentimes as very defiant behavior, but really yeah. you have to remember um, all that they've been through and maybe the what's really going on underneath and why they're choosing to do that. When you ask that question, because there are other things that we've seen where they can commute, where our different children at various ages have communicated things to us. Like, oh, I know you're coming back for me. And they no longer like cry when you say goodbye for visitation or things like mm. that, where I'm like, wow, you just said that out yeah. loud. Like, you know, I'm yeah. coming back for you. Um, oh, that's so neat. there's, it's definitely both. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate your time. I am so thankful for what you do, for what you advocate for, and for being so candid with your life. You are blessing me. You're blessing other people. And I know that our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing your story. So if you guys enjoyed this, if you have any further questions, um, if you want to check out her book, when is your book launching, Amanda? So the book that I'm working on right now with Zondervan is not releasing until early 2021. Um, But 
if you want to follow the journey, I'm sure I'll be sharing little bits and pieces of the book via email with my subscribers. So yes, awesome. And then you have another book about space. Yes. Yeah. My devotional is on Amazon. It's called Space, an Invitation to Create Sustainable Rhythms of Work, Play, and Rest. Love that. Well, thank you so much. If you guys enjoyed this episode, take a quick screenshot, tag Amanda at Amanda Carpenter and the Living Easy Podcast, and just let us know what you gained from this, what you learned, or just really what blessed you in her sharing her heart. So we love you guys. We're so thankful for you. And thank you so much again, Amanda. I appreciate you. Hey guys, if you have been enjoying the Living Easy podcast, the most thoughtful thing that you can do is to share the love. If you're ever impacted or encouraged by an episode, simply take a quick screenshot and tag at Living Easy Podcast and share on Instagram or Facebook, or simply text it to a friend or family member who may need to hear it. The more you share, the more of an opportunity we all have to bring hope and joy to the people around the world. So let's do it together. Thank you all so much for your support and we'll talk to you next time.